now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Nomi Freeman, inspirational speaker and teacher of Jewish spirituality. In recent years, Nomi has interviewed many people about their near-death experiences, and she is particularly interested in how these experiences guide us to lead our lives in tune with the spiritual world. Nomi lectures internationally and provides spiritual development seminars, Jewish mysticism, and meditation sessions. Nomi, thank you for being my guest today and welcome. It's so much fun. So Nomi, how did you get interested in NDEs in the first place? I find them so fascinating. Um, I was very, very young when the first book on NDEs came out, Life After Life. And um, I, I remember reading an excerpt of the book and I was so fascinated by it. And then that was it. And then years passed. Years passed, and, and uh, there was an article in the New York Times. So that was very, very exciting. And it told the story of a nurse whose patient flatlined, and she ran to the pharmacy to get a drug that would uh, restart his heart, and she did. And the next day, the patient thanked her for everything she did, and she said, how do you know it was me? You were dead. And the patient said, well, I followed you. And he went on to tell her everything that happened while he was dead. So that really, I found that very exciting. So that's how I started. And then, uh, again, more books were published on your death experiences. And I found another book. And I started reading more and more. And then I found that near-death experiences are such an incredible window into life. Because, okay, so it's people who die, but as they go to the other world, they, they see themselves and they see their lives and they see what was successful and what's in tune with the other world and what was failure and should be, you know, discontinued. So I started a public speaking about, about the death experiences because I found that they bring us the message of what life is all about. And then as I did, I found that pretty much 99% of the time when I finished the talk, people came up to me and said, you know, I had a near-death experience or I had a spiritual experience or my partner or my mother or somebody had a near-death experience and I started getting all these connections to people who had NDEs. So that's where we are today. In your opinion, what do you think are the most important things that we should take away from NDE stories? Thank you for that question. I think that the most impactful part of it is, first of all, the incredible, infinite, and unconditional love that the creator has for every single one of his creations. Second, the tremendous importance of love and kindness that in that world are, wow, the ultimate. And of course, also the fact that we lose the fear of death because we see that there is a beautiful life in the beyond. You know, so many people who had near-death experiences did not want to come back because that world is so beautiful. So that takes the fear out of dying. And, and it's comforting for people who lost loved ones. And um, there, are other, there are other important messages that we take from near-death experiences, like the importance of forgiveness um, I think it was Daniel Brinkley, a famous NDE, who said that in one of his NDEs, because he had three, 
in one of them, um, an angel told him, now you have an opportunity to forgive. And he said he didn't feel like forgiving because some people had hurt him so much. And he said it was very hard to forgive, but the angel told him the only way to rise higher is to forgive. So he said, okay. And he, was, he said, I was flooded with forgiveness for everyone forever. And, uh, and then the angel and I started to vibrate with another frequency and rise higher and higher. So he said, forgiveness was a very small price to pay for that, zooming outwards. So those are, um, to me, some of the most important messages. Um, also, the power of prayer. We think, oh, I'm praying, I'm just saying words, who knows if anyone's listening. But there was this rabbi, Rabbi Gaisinski, who had an NDE, and a very interesting and complex one. And uh, one of the things he told his friend, who, who related it to me, is that he said that he, he was there for 40 minutes. His heart was not working for 40 minutes. And he said, during that time, so many people were praying for me. And I heard every word and every voice of prayer that was being said for me. And of course, the impact that those prayers had, he came back to life. But it's, it's another story. It's my understanding that you, your husband is a rabbi and you are a rabbi's wife. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. Can you tell us how NDEs fit within Judaism? Sure. So even though NDEs seem to be a very fashionable modern phenomenon because we hear so much about NDEs today, but NDEs are mentioned in ancient uh, Jewish wisdom books like the Talmud. So um, I could tell you a very short NDE that's written in the Talmud. So in the tractate of Pesachim, uh, page 50, it tells the story of Rabbi Yossi, the son of Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. He was very ill, and his father was by his bedside as he was dying. And he actually died, and um, his father saw that he was dead. He was not breathing. And um, a few minutes later, he came back to life. So his father, Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, being a Talmudic scholar, he wanted to know. He wanted to learn from the experience. So the father asked the son, what did you see? In other words, while you were dead, what happened? What did you see? And he said a very fascinating thing that encapsulates MDEs in a very powerful way. He said, I saw an upside down world. So it is, the sages explained what is the meaning of an upside down world. He said, Every, everyone who was up here was not up there. And some people who were very low here were very high there because the values are so flipped. The values are so different, so opposite. So things that people value very much in this world, like money and fame and career and you name it, all those things, they don't even exist. Mm -hmm. Those people are, you know, they don't have any of that there. But the things that sometimes are very small and overlooked here, like a smile or an act of kindness or an expression of love over there, whoa, that's the currency. That's the wealth. That's it. So he said that. I saw an upside down world. And he also said, and I heard a voice. 
That said, Lucky is the one who comes here and his learning is with him. So um, I found in general in near-death experiences that two things are very, very valued, love and kindness and knowledge. Many people are told it's not your time yet. You have to go back. You have things to learn. You have things to do, but you have things to learn as well. So knowledge is very valued. And this is one of the, this thing, the second thing that he said. I heard a voice that said, Lucky is the one who comes here with their learning in their hands, that they have acquired knowledge. So that's one um, ancient Jewish indeed. There is another one in the Zohar Hadash, and um, that's uh, Rabbi Kruspedai, an unusual name. And this rabbi died, he was ill, he died surrounded by his colleagues and friends. And he also came back to life. So the sages asked him, why did they send you back? What happened? So I think at first he was hesitant to share, but they really wanted this knowledge. So he eventually gave in. So um, he said that the reason they judged him and the reason that he was granted an extension on his life was, he says, because he overcame his personal feelings and was very forgiving. So the, theme of forgiveness comes back up. He said he was, he always forgave. He always, always forgave, no matter what had happened. And the second thing was because they told him because his days, his life was full of study and prayer. So those are very valued. So those are the two ancient Indies that are recorded in, in books of Jewish wisdom. And of course, we have all the modern stories as well. I'm pretty sure you've read a lot of NDE stories and reports, and you will probably see that some of these stories and reports get into reincarnation and past lives. When you get into those parts of the stories, are they in conflict with Judaism? No. As a matter of fact, reincarnation is very basic in, in Judaism. Hmm. There, there is a book called The Book of Reincarnation that is a Kabbalah book. Um, from the Ari, the Holy Ari. So, um, yeah, so it's a, um, reincarnation is a basic principle of Judaism, and the belief is that we need to keep on coming back until we have performed all the good deeds we're supposed to perform and learn everything we have to learn and evolve to the point that we are expected to evolve, and only then we get to stay home. At oh. the end of the years, call it home. That's amazing. I didn't know that that book exists. I'm assuming most Christians, you know, when they die, they just think they go to heaven for a, for eternity and that's it. Is that the same way in Judaism? I'm not sure I'm following your question, but basically, as I described, there is the progression of the soul. The soul needs to keep on reincarnating until mm -hmm. it's fulfilled its entire mission and done all the, what we call the mitzvot, the good deeds that the, that the, the Torah commands us. So we need to keep on coming until we have done everything properly. Also, the reincarnation happens if a person has wronged another person or they have an unpaid debt, they may have to come back to pay back or to fix what they wronged. Mm -hmm. That's another reason for reincarnation. And what you're talking about as heaven, um, so there is what we call Gan Eden, which is the Garden of Eden or Paradise, and there are two, a higher one and a lower one. And our belief is that 
once we have completed our mission, then we get to that place and each person, basically we all get that there eventually, but each person gets to a level according to their achievements. One in the year mentioned it in a very funny but illustrative way. He said that it's when you get to the other world, you go through something that's similar to a coin sorter. You know how you throw all the coins in the coin sorter and each one goes to the right place? Right. So the souls, when they get to the other world, so they automatically have a place where they belong according to their achievements, according to how much light you have, and your light is according to how many good deeds you've done, especially in helping others and acts of goodness and kindness. So that's the... That's basically the, the idea of heaven or afterlife. Sometimes the near-death experiencers that I talk with will see people on the other side that are still alive here now, currently. So we kind of theorize that they're coming in contact with their higher self. Does anything in the Kabbalah or Judaism talk about a person's higher self? Okay, so... Um, in the Kabbalah, it explains that only a small fraction of the soul comes to live within the body. Mm. The core of the soul remains above in the spiritual world. So you, that might be what you're calling the higher self. Right. Yes. So it's a fraction of the soul that comes to live in the body and accomplish a mission, mm. improve, make the necessary progress and purify and elevate the body and the physical world through the good deeds that we do when we are here. So yeah, so a big chunk of us is above. Why do you think it exists there? Like why does only a part of us come here? Does it talk about that? Why only a small part of it? I think if the entire soul would come into the body, it would be a very great burst of illumination that would be maybe too much for a physical body to contain. But I'm just imagining. Mm. I don't really know the answer to what you're saying. Yeah, that's a good that's a good theory though, that the, the body couldn't handle the entire soul. I don't know. It's just my imagination. Most of these things that we're talking about, if not all, are coming from the Kabbalah, right? The incarnation, the 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 soul on the other side. Mm-hmm. Is the Kabbalah something that's generally taught within, you know, regular Judaism, or is that something that you know people will go study extra? Good question. So for thousands of years, the Kabbalah was very hidden. It's the learning of the of the Jewish mysticism, the hidden topics, and it was transmitted from master to disciple in a very private and individual way, and in a very, very limited way. In the past generations, because of the progression of humanity and the actual, what we call the descent of the generations, um, we need the Kabbalah now more than ever in order to just be able to function. We need it now. So now the Kabbalah has been made more open, more available. There are many books that are translated and available to the public. Also, the Hasidic movement that started with Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov a few hundred years ago 
brought the teachings of Kabbalah into what we call the Hasidic teachings that explain the Kabbalah and made, makes it more accessible to the regular person. And that is important in order to give us the inspiration that we need to function in today's world. Does your husband have the same interest in NDEs as you do? And if so, does that if, does that influence him as a rabbi? That's another interesting question. Um, I think that because we share ideas with each other all the time, mm-hmm. so he's always telling me what he's writing about because it's, he writes for Chabad.org. And I'm telling him what I'm reading and learning about. And we share so much. So I think now it's almost impossible to know where one ends and the other starts. So yes, we definitely influence each other a lot. And I have heard him giving public classes and mentioning things that I know he's heard from my NDE stories. So yes, we do have that symbiosis. We do have that uh, mutual influence. Since your husband may be speaking about this stuff, would he be considered, you know, a little bit outside of traditional Judaism or? No, no, it's not untraditional, but my husband is not afraid of being untraditional. Um, he calls himself unorthodox, even though we are fully practicing. Um, but in these are not outside of traditional Judaism, as I mentioned, that they are, that they are recorded in our holy books. So, yes. Do you think that most Jewish people are aware of of this reincarnation book and the other things that we've been talking about? I don't know. I don't know. I am in the Hasidic um, observant branch of Judaism, and I would like to share um, whatever little I know about NDEs and reincarnation with everyone so they know about the purpose of life and how to live a life that's in sync with, with the spiritual world. But I don't really know how many people are aware of it. I think that I think that uh, there are many people who are not observant or not, not learning the tradition, uh, the traditional uh, teachings and the Kabbalah. So probably a lot of people are not aware. It's our business that they should find out. You are going to share some other stories with us. So can yes. you please share those? Yes, I'm happy to share stories. I have a few favorites and I have a new favorite. So I'll start with my new favorite. Um, I usually ask permission to share names and places. I did not get permission this time, and this person is not alive anymore. So we are going to nickname him Marvin. Okay. I don't want to use his real name. So um, last winter I was in Israel, and I was lecturing um, to an English-speaking community in Beersheba. And when I finished my talk, this couple came to talk to me and he is a physician and she is a psychologist and they came, they, they came from the United States and they told me in our city in the States, we had a friend who had an NDE that was very, very transformative and we were curious about it. So they said like this, our friend Marvin was a type A personality, very driven, always running, never taking a break. He was very wealthy. He had a business worth several million. And uh, and yeah, and one day he had a heart attack. So they called the ambulance. They took him to the hospital. He, his heart was not working. And, you know, he, so he was dead for a little bit. And then they resuscitated and he came back, recovered and went back to life. 
when he went back to life, routine was no longer the same. He was very, very changed. So this couple tells me that their friend, Marvin, went from a type A personality to a type B personality. Now he was very calm and relaxed. He was no longer running around, obviously, with the business. He was spending much more time with family and friends. So he was really, really transformed. So they needed to know what happened. And they went up to him and they said, Marvin, what happened during your transition? What happened during the time when you were dead that you have come back such a different person? And he said, well, I learned that all the things we worry about, it's nothing. They said, what are you talking about? What do you mean? He says, yeah, everything, everything we worry about, it's, it's worthless, it's nothing. So what should we worry about? What is important? So Marvin said, I'll tell you what, in my near-death experience, I had a life review. In my life review, I saw obviously everything I did, but there was one thing that really, really was highlighted. One day, I'm driving my car to go to a business meeting, and I see on the side of the road, on the sidewalk, there is an old lady with a cart trying to get her cart into the laundromat. And at the end of the laundromat, there is a high step, so she can't pull up the cart. So immediately, I saw this. I parked my car. I got off. I went running to the old lady, and I lifted her shopping cart with the laundry and brought it inside and I bent down to pick up her bags from the cart and help her with it and only once she was settled um, I went back to my car and to my business meeting that's what matters that's what's important everything else um, everything else pales in comparison so he explained that that was his experience and that's why now his life was so different and what it had been before. So I thought that was really, really powerful because how many people would stop um, and their way rushing to an important business meeting to help the little old lady who's struggling to lift something heavy? And that's that's the, the core of life. That's the essence of life. So then I have another story, and this is from a woman who became a personal friend of mine due to her NDE. Uh, a common friend introduced us, knowing that I was interested in NDEs and that this lady had one, and she told me her full story in detail at least twice. Her name is Liba, and she told me um, she was around 20 years old, and she was going um, up the ladder by a swimming pool to dive in. The, she got to the top, and the person in front of her dove. This person was very large, and as this large person dove into the pool, the ladder collapsed. Obviously, it was not a very strong ladder. The ladder collapsed, and my friend Liba, who was at the top of the ladder, fell all the way down, and her head hit the cement floor, and it cracked her skull. So, yes, she died. She said... I found myself above the pool, looking down and finding everyone around me, coming, rushing to my body, the blood around the head, um, screaming for an ambulance. And then I was rising higher and higher, traveling to another dimension. I emerged into another dimension and found myself in front of what we call in Hebrew, a um, a tribunal, a court of judges. 
And they were not judging my life to see whether my life had been a good or a not good life. They were judging, trying to decide whether I was staying up and coming back down. And these, these judges were sitting in a semicircle, um, the ones on the right side, and I could not see anybody's faces, their faces were covered. The ones on the right side were in favor of me returning to life. The ones on the left side were saying, no, she died, she's already here, you know, she's staying. And they were going back and forth. She said, I did not understand their language, but I did understand their ideas. And then in between the two sides, there was an entity of light. And the, the light was so powerful that I could not see any features within the light. After the two sides argued back and forth, the entity of light in the center banged on some sort of table. And that was the decision. The decision was made that I was staying up. Um, I was fine with it. I didn't care either way. But then another very powerful light entered from the side. Um, and when I looked at this great light that I had just entered, I recognized who it was. Even though this light was so powerful, I was able to distinguish who it was. And it was my grandmother. And my grandmother started crying and begging and pleading with the judges that I was too young and I should be allowed to come back to my life and live a life. And I could not understand what my grandmother was saying because she spoke Yiddish. And I did not know Yiddish. I knew English and Hebrew, but not Yiddish. So my grandmother talked and begged and pleaded. And when she finished her case, the judges reconsidered. Now, I need to make a parenthesis to explain why the grandmother had such incredible light. So this grandmother was a Jewish woman living in the United States during the time of the Holocaust. And she was a religious woman. She kept all the traditions and all the rules um, that Jewish people keep, the rules of the Torah. But there was something outstanding about her. She would go any time that there was a ship coming from Europe with people escaping the Holocaust. She went to the port, she waited. And when those people came out of the boat, she welcomed them. She didn't have jobs for them or apartments or money to give them. She herself was struggling, but she had love and she had kindness. And she welcomed them with a smile and she said, don't worry, this is America. Here you are safe. Nobody's trying to kill you. We will help you. You will find a job. You will find an apartment. You will be fine. And she was just so warm and so welcoming that she really comforted the people and helped them as much as she could. After the war was over and when her children had already grown up and moved out of the house, this grandmother was sometimes missing. She wasn't home. Her husband would come home in the evening and he knew that there was a warm dinner waiting for him in the oven if his wife wasn't there and he knew where she was. She was visiting people in hospitals. She was coming to homes where a lady had given birth and cooking a dinner for the rest of the family and helping with the children and putting them to bed and doing everything that the new mother wasn't able to do. And she was constantly looking for who needs help and just going and helping completely unconditionally. So 
that is what gave the grandmother the incredible light and the ability to come and pray on behalf of her granddaughter and change things around. So when the grandmother finished stating her case, the judges reconsidered. And again, the ones on the right side spoke and the ones on the left side spoke and the light in the middle banged again. And with that bang, Liba says, I felt myself pulled backwards, pulled downwards. And I went down, 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 and I slammed into my body that was already at the hospital. And the doctors were taking care of me and sewing up my head. Hmm. And today, I know this lady, and she is an incredibly, incredibly loving and kind person. I'm sure after such an experience, um, she would be. But also, there was another NDE, and this one I did not interview personally, but I read about it. And this other NDE gives us a glimpse into this one. In the other NDE, a woman uh, was temporarily dead, and she said, when I was in the other world, I saw many other souls. And every single soul had light, but not, so, not all souls had the same light and the same amount of light. And I understood that the amount of light, which is basically your power and your currency in, in the other world, the amount of light depended on the amount of good deeds and kindness that we had done. So this woman says, I looked at myself and I remember thinking in the beyond, I wish I had more light. So this NDE assists us to understand the other one. You know, the more good you do, the more light. You have. Yeah. So while we are here, every second is a chance to do another act of kindness. Yeah. But um, as I mentioned before, love and kindness are very important, and so is knowledge. So there was a rabbi in Toronto who told us a story that happened to him, and he was completely shocked. By this, by this story that happened to him. So this rabbi from Toronto moved to Israel and he opened a Jewish learning center in Rehobot. Uh, his name is Rabbi Glukowski. And Rabbi Glukowski of Rehobot uh, was approached one day by an English-speaking older lady. And she came and said to him, Rabbi, you know, because this is Israel, there are so many Judaism classes, Torah classes, but they're all in Hebrew, and I came to Israel at an advanced age. It's hard for me to learn another language. But you came from Toronto, and you speak English. Would you give a, a class for us, you know, a Torah class, a, a Bible class, basically, in, in English? So the rabbi said, okay, Sarah, if you organize the class and you get the people, I will prepare it and teach it. So she said, a done deal. And she went and called all the English speakers she knew when she organized this class. And then from then on, every Monday night at 7.30, there was a class with Rabbi Glukowski in English in Israel. And this went on for a few years. But one day, Asara came over to the rabbi and said, Rabbi, I've come to say goodbye. And the rabbi was surprised. He said, where are you, where are you going? What's happened? And she said, well, I'm, I'm too old to live alone. So I need to move with my son, who lives in another city. And uh, that's it. I'm moving. So thank you for everything and goodbye. So the rabbi um, wished her well, and she moved with her son. 
and two years passed. After two years, the rabbi's phone rings and hello, is this Rabbi Golkovsky? Yes, it is. This is Sarah's son, last name included. And um, oh, how is your mother? So the man explains to the rabbi that his mother had a medical event and she's been in a, in a coma for two days in the hospital. And the doctors told him that she's not lasting much longer. But today, after two days in a coma, she opened her eyes. And the first thing she said is, where is Rabbi Glukowski? So, so, uh, so Rabbi, would you please come see my mother? Of course. So the rabbi takes the directions to the hospital and cancels all his appointments for the rest of the day, jumps in his car, drives to the other city, goes to the hospital, walks into the room. And there is a very old and weak Sarah lying on her deathbed. And as soon as he comes in, her face lights up and she breaks into a smile. And the rabbi says, Sarah, how are you? How are you feeling? And she says, eh. Who cares feelings, really? Says, Rabbi, in the past two days, I've already been to the other world and back. When I was in the other world, they showed me my crown. I have a beautiful crown. Rabbi, the centerpiece in my crown is the class I organized that you teach. I came, I wanted to ask you to please not discontinue the class that I started organizing and teaching. Now the rabbi was almost dying because he had never heard of such a thing. And he was really shocked. So he composed himself and he said, yes, Sarah, as long as people come, I will continue that class. And they spent some time together and then he left and um, she didn't live through the night. That was it. But what a gift. Um, for us to receive, to know that this woman had a beautiful crown. Um, I'm imagining the crown was made of all her good deeds and that special learning class that made the learning available to people of another language was the centerpiece in her crown. That's Sarah's story. And anywhere in the Kabbalah, do they talk about the life review? Yes, it does. Um, it mentions it actually in the Talmud. It says, at the moment of death, a person is reminded of everything, even a trivial conversation between spouses is mentioned. So this is, this is recorded in the Talmud. Um, even a trivial conversation between husband and wife is mentioned at the, at the time of death. So... Nothing is missing from the life review. And that's something that you know, Jeff, that every detail of your life is in the life review. And um, even thoughts, thoughts, words, actions, everything is there. And that's recorded in the Talmud, that we are accountable. Everything is measured, mentioned and we are accountable for responsible for every single thing. Now, I find that a little bit um, daunting that even our thoughts, we, we even have a life review of our thoughts. It's easier to control our actions than it is to control our thoughts. But apparently there are high expectations and the more we focus on positivity, the more we elevate ourselves. So whenever negative thoughts come, we 
make an effort to shift and refocus and try to go to the positive zone and the positive thoughts. So yes, there are high expectations. And in, 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 uh, in con- continuing this idea, I found in near-death experiences that, that um, one and the ear mentioned in that world, which in Jewish tradition, the other world has a few names. One of them is the world to come because we are here in this world and this is the other one is the world to come. And another world, another name for it is Olam Ha'emet, which means the world of truth. So this and the ear said, in that world, your intentions are as clear as your actions. So we can't get away with anything. If we were kind to somebody with ulterior motives, that was shown too. Um, not to diminish any act of kindness. Every single act of kindness is powerful and is beneficial and is rewarded and it gives you more light. But the more unselfish and the more unconditional your love and your kindness, obviously the greater it is. Which is like, for instance, the act that I just mentioned, that man that went to help the, lady, the old lady with the, with the laundry, he knew he was never going to see her again. There was nothing she could do back for him to pay him back. So it was an act of unconditional kindness. Over the years that you have been studying NDEs, how have you changed? Ooh. You know, it's a daily, it's a daily effort to try and live in accordance with these principles. So it's interesting because I grew up in a religious home and I learned like all of us learn, I think in every religion, you know, love your fellow as yourself. Don't do to others what you don't like done to you. So we grew up with this and the idea of loving your fellow is very, very much stressed in all religions, and certainly in Judaism, because it's written in the Torah and the Bible. But it's different when you hear it from somebody's mouth who tells you, I was in the beyond, I was in the other world, and I felt in myself everything I did to others. I felt in my being every emotion I I caused another person. So that brings another awareness and another level of waking up, I think. Um, because you hear it from somebody who experienced it, and they tell us it's impossible to hurt another without hurting yourself. It's impossible to benefit, to help another without helping yourself. So this knowledge, you know, it has to impact us. So even though I grew up with all of this theory and this idea of, yes, the importance of kindness and giving and considering others, I think that hearing it firsthand for many years who lived it in themselves um, brought a new awareness. And that's what I'm trying to share with others. So how have I changed? I hope that I have slowly made some improvement. And as I say, it's daily work and reminding myself every single day, this is what God wants. As being a rabbi's wife, I'm pretty sure that you end up meeting with people who have lost loved ones. 
like kind of a part of a religious duty to perform like a funeral service or something like that. How do you counsel people, especially with the knowledge of NDEs, about death? So I think the main thing is that they should be aware that the other world is beautiful. It's a world of light and love. And, you know, the soul goes on forever and that we will all be reunited in in a place of love and light. So for the people who have experienced an NDE, dying is easy because they know they're going to a place they saw that's very beautiful. So with this knowledge, I think it's easier for people to cope. The knowledge of both things, that it's a beautiful world and that eventually we are all reunited. It's pretty common to find people who have had an NDE who have seen Jesus on the other side. Do you think that there are any accounts out there of someone who has seen Moses on the other side, but they just haven't come forward yet? Okay, so um, the rabbi that I mentioned at the beginning who said he, he heard every word of prayer. So his name is Rabbi Gaisinski, and he's from Great Neck, New York. And he was dead for 40 minutes at 4-0, 40 minutes. His heart stopped. And he had been he had been sick for a while before, and then he died, and they took him to the hospital. They continued resuscitation efforts for 40 minutes. So as you know, this is very unusual to be dead for that long and come back to life. But um, one of the doctors in the team um, explained that um, because he was a family friend, he could not get himself to give up and go and tell the family that they had not been successful. So he kept on trying for 40 minutes. When this rabbi came back to life, um, he had something to share, but he was very hesitant to share. He did not want to share. Eventually, he shared with one family member. And uh, as time passed, he was more open and shared with um, a few more family members. And eventually, the knowledge got out there of what he experienced. And his experience was very extraordinary. Um, the only one that I have heard um, of this caliber. So he says, as he was out of his body, an entity approached him and introduced itself. He said, I am Angel Michael, in Hebrew, Malach Michael, and I came to escort you on your journey. So the angel and the rabbi rose up, and they went to the spiritual world, and the angel accompanied him to visit um, the residences of some of the great souls throughout Jewish history. So he said, first we visited what we call the palaces, the spiritual residence or the spiritual realm of that particular soul. So he says, first we visited the residence of our teacher Moses, who gave us the Torah. And then we visited the residence of his brother, the first priest, Aaron. And then we went down through time and we visited the residences of other great, um, great Jewish spiritual leaders. And going down through the sages of the Talmud, which is divided in two time periods, the time of the Mishnah, the time of the Gemara. So different sages from those time periods. And then coming closer to our time, to Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov, who created the, the Hasidic movement, and 
um, the first rabbi of the, Hasid, of the Chabad Hasidic movement and going down. And I can only imagine this was a tour of his life. Um, what an amazing experience. And he said, as we were going um, from one place to another, the angel said, oh, we have to go now. They are waiting for us in the heavenly court, in the tribunal, and we are not allowed to keep them waiting. So they went and they came in front of the heavenly court and he had something happen to him that was also very unusual. The judges told him, we are not sure what to do with you. We have not decided whether we are sending you back to earth or keeping you up here. And he responded, uh, and they asked for his opinion. What would you like? And he responded, I have never taken any major decision in my entire life without asking my Rebbe. A Rebbe is a rabbi of a higher order. A Rebbe is a, a very enlightened person who takes care of a large, uh, of basically of the whole world. So the Chabad Rebbe had been his mentor his whole life and he had never made the decision without asking his Rebbe. So in the other world, as you know, um, things are instant. So as soon as I, he said those words, I have not made uh, any life decision without consulting with my Rebbe, the Rebbe came in into the heavenly court. And the judges gave shows respect to the Rebbe who had just come in. And um, the Rebbe said, I have started the work of bringing the world to its ultimate completion and bringing the, what we called, what we called the Geula, the redemption of the world. And this man is one of my soldiers working to perfect the world, to increase acts of goodness and kindness and to perfect the world. So I need him back on earth to do his work. So the judges accepted uh, immediately and they said the rabbi's name and his mother's name this so-and-so, uh, son of son of so-and-so, is going back to earth. And they send him back, and he woke up in the hospital. And as I said, at the beginning, he did not want to share his experience, but eventually he did. It's quite often on this channel that we talk about archangels, like Michael, Raphael, etc. What are the function of the archangels and is there any more information that you can give us that is taught in the Kabbalah that's not traditionally taught? So we see from this rabbi's story that Angel Michael came to escort him. Um, I know very few people who had such privilege, but I have heard another couple in the years who did have um, Angel Michael escort them. Um, they have some very important jobs in the spiritual worlds. I have not been invited yet, and that's a good thing. So I don't know much about these angels' missions. Angels are sent to earth occasionally to perform special jobs. Um, and when they are, they get a name according to their mission. But um, obviously we don't see them. They're not manifest in a physical way. So I don't know that I can give you a, a complete answer to that question. 
That's okay. But it is interesting to me that quite a few near-death experiencers see Archangel Michael during their experience. Yes, that's correct. Well, you know, Angel Michael um, is the angel of kindness. And Gabriel is the angel of strictness or judgment. So I think that I think that it's nicer to be accompanied by an angel of kindness. Yeah. So, okay. So one day I'm making dinner in the kitchen and the kids come. This is years ago. So my kids were little then. The kids come and say, mom, the phone's for you. It was still a landline. The phone's for you. Um, it's somebody from Israel. I said, okay. I take the phone and this man on the other side says, are you Mrs. Freeman? I said, yeah, yes. He said, I had a near-death experience. Do you want to hear it? I said, of course I want to hear it. So I turned off the fire so I don't burn down dinner. I tell the kids to go have a banana and dinner is postponed. And I ran upstairs to my room with my notebook and my pen and I said, I'm all ears. Now this man requested that I do not share his name even though he permitted me to share his story. He said, um, so we'll call him Ellie because it's a short and cute nickname. So um, Ellie says, I was 17 years old and I'm an American. I was in an Israeli school for English speakers. And um, my best friend was leaving. So all of us teenagers from the school went to the airport and uh, we brought guitars and drums and we are bidding him farewell in the airport. And then an announcement goes over the loudspeaker because of a war that was happening at that time. All flights are canceled. Now, this is in the 1970s, so there was no texting and email. If you wanted to catch your flight, you just stayed in the airport. So the teenager said, I'm staying in the airport. And all the other kids said, well, we'll stay with you. And they did. Now, our hero, Ellie, he said, I did not want to fall asleep. I wanted to be there the moment that my friend would go to his flight and, you know, see him off that moment. So I got tired and to keep myself awake, I'm pacing back and forth. And another kid comes over and says, Ellie, why are you pacing back and forth? And I said, I'm trying to keep myself, myself awake. So he puts his hand in his pocket and pulls out a little box. And he says to me, I have these diet pills. Remember, this is the 1970s. Um, and they have, whatever they have, it's going to make you be very awake. It's going to really help you stay awake. So I said, thank you. And he gave me the entire box. I said, thank you. And I took the box. I popped two pills. And a few minutes later, I was really alert. Oh, this stuff really works. Um, a few hours passed and I was tired again, but I said, no problem. My friend gave me the box. I took another two pills. You see which direction this is going. The flight was, was postponed for two and a half days. And every time Ellie got tired, he took another two pills. After two days of taking the diet pills and staying awake, he was not feeling very well. So Ellie says, um, I wasn't feeling well. I realized that I better sit down and relax. So I went to a chair in the lounge and I sat with all my friends. So, so many of them were asleep. Some of them were not. And I sat in the chair and I couldn't breathe. So I gasped for air and I couldn't breathe. And I wanted to call, to scream to my friends, to call an ambulance. But if you can't breathe, you can't talk. So that was it. 
Next thing I know, I am above everybody and close to the ceiling and to the side and looking down at all my friends and in one of the chairs is my body. And then everything went black. And I was afraid. Now, you know very well that um, in the vast majority of NDEs, um, we have the darkness, but the feeling is of love and calmness. It's always a feeling of love and joy. So why did this particular person have a feeling of fear is unclear to me, but it is possible because he, it's possible that because he committed um, a crime against his body, perhaps, by taking all these pills, even though he didn't realize what he was doing, but he was saved. Basically, he said, I remembered that when I was in grade two, I had a teacher who told us that if we are ever in, in trouble, we should say a certain one-line prayer. So I said that one-line prayer over and over again in my spirit form, and then I saw a light far away, a point of light far away in the middle of that darkness. So the prayer is Baruch Shem Kibod Malchutole Olam Ba'et, very short. I said it over and over again. I see the point of light and I start zooming towards the light, the light at a very high rate of speed. And I emerge in a world of light. Now what transpired next is incredible. He says, I found myself in front of what NDE is called the loving living light. It's an entity that's completely light but it's completely love. And I felt like I am swimming in an ocean of love that I am completely, infinitely and unconditionally loved by this living light. And he said, if you want to understand um, what the feeling was, I'll explain it to you. He said, first of all, I understood that this light is the divine presence, what in Hebrew we call Shekhinah, divine presence, the presence of God. And and he said, if you want to understand my feeling, he said, take every, every event of happiness and joy that happened in your life, add them all up, all the happiness you had in your entire life, multiply it by a million. That was my feeling in front of the living, loving light. And I don't know how long I was there because of course there is no time in the spiritual world, but then after some time um, absorbing the love uh, and the joy, I was transported somewhere else. In this other place, in the other world, I met with my dead grandparents. I immediately recognized them, even though I had never seen them my entire life. They had been killed in the Holocaust and therefore, I never saw them and I had no pictures of them. I never knew what they looked like. And yet, when I met them in the afterlife, I recognized them. I knew they are my grandparents and they welcomed me and we exchanged love. And that was beautiful. And then bang, again, I'm transported to a third place. And this third place was the, the court, the, the tribunal. And he said, it was not frightening. They made me feel comfortable. Um, and in front of this court, I saw my entire life review. Now, not everything showed equal. Um, there was something that was highlighted in my life review. And that is, when I was in school, there were bullies in my school. I stood up against the bullies. 
to assist and to defend the weaker children who were being bullied. And that showed us the best thing I did in my 17 years. And then the life review is over. It's only 17 years. It's over. It's done. And I realized, what am I doing here? So he said, I started screaming. I felt bad for my parents. I started screaming, but what about my mother? What about my father? What about my sisters? I'm only 17 years old. There's so much I wanted to do with my life. And as I said those words, I opened my eyes in my body, in the airport. And I'm wondering, what, what just happened to me? What was that? Was it a dream? And of course, right away I realized this is a dream. That was the real world. That felt like this is the absolute real life, real world. And the life in the body is like a passing dream compared to that. And just to confirm my experience, he said, at that moment, I got up from the chair and started wandering about the airport and I saw everybody's aura. I saw the aura on every person in the airport. And most people's auras were red. And there was a little old man um, in, the, in the airport in Israel, a little old man who's, who was a Yemenite and his aura was pure, silvery, white, and very, very bright. And I only had this gift of seeing the auras on that day and then you know, it faded away. Then, as if to confirm my experience, one of my classmates came over to me and whispered in my ear, Ellie, what just happened to you? Don't tell it to anybody, at least that for now. Don't share it with anybody, but it's for you. And I don't know how this classmate knew what happened to me, but it confirmed to me that it was an experience and not a dream. Anyways, as this person uh, grew up, he became more and more spiritual and more and more observant. And, um, and he said today, uh, of course, he's, he's a religious man, but he says in addition to all my religious activities, he says my greatest focus is on kindness and helping others. And he says today, my friends laugh at me. They say, why are you always the one who's running to do the good deed? Can't you spend more time in your office? You'll make more money. And I'm like, who cares about more money? Another good deed is like a diamond that will last for me forever. So that's where he is today. You know, Jeff, a lot of people ask me if I had an NDE. Mm -hmm. And oh, I did not. But I did have an after-death communication from my father after he died. That mm. was very brief, but I like to share it. Yes. Because you asked me how you asked me how my life changed, and this is part of how my life changed. So, my father unfortunately passed away young. He was only fifty-five. He was misdiagnosed with a ruptured appendix. Um, I was an only daughter, and I have only one brother, much younger. So. It was very hard losing him. I was very close to my father. Um, after my father passed away, 
I just wanted to have some kind of communication. I wanted to, I knew that he was a very, very good man and a very learned person and a very giving and kind person. I knew all that, but I still wanted some kind of communication to just let me know, you know, everything's good. So on the 30th day after his passing, we went back to the cemetery to visit. Um, and after everybody else left, I stayed next to his grave and I did something that I didn't know what you're not supposed to do. I asked him that I wanted to see him again. So you re the reason you're not supposed to do this is because it disturbs the soul's peace to be asked to come back into the world to talk to us. So we're not supposed to do this. But at the time, I did not know. So I asked him. Anyways, I had heard many stories of people who had a dream. And in the dream, they saw the soul of a parent, a grandparent. And, and I expected a dream. And seeing my father and saying, I'm God, it's a nice world. Um, I went to bed at night expecting a dream or thinking maybe there would be a dream, but there wasn't. Night one, night two, night three. A week passed, I said, it's not meant to be. Who says that my father has to come all the way from that world to this world just because I want to see him. It's not meant to be and I should give up. So I completely forgot about it. Approximately two or three months later, we had a meeting in our community hall. Um, and we had another town inspirational speaker come to talk to us. And all of us, it was a ladies' night, and all of us were sitting in a very large half circle, and this inspirational speaker was sit standing in the middle. And I was sort of in the center of the half circle and in the middle of that talk, without any warning whatsoever, um, suddenly my father's soul popped into the room. I saw him very clearly, as clearly as I see you now, but he was, it was a very large hall and he was all the way in the other end of the room, closer to the ceiling than to the floor. And I felt the tears on my cheeks because this was clearly my father, and I had not seen him. He had passed away. And after I was sort of settled in the experience, he said to me one sentence, one message, mind to mind, not necessarily in words, but the message. But he did call me by my name. He said, no, me, do as many good deeds as you can, because Mashiach is coming soon. And that was his message, to do as many good deeds as I can. And that's what I want to leave our audience with, that when you are in the afterlife, what you really want for your loved ones is that they should do as many good deeds as they can. Mm. And that's why I feel that's why that was his message. Do not you, about him, but about me. Yes. Do you still feel that you should not ask to see the people who have passed over to come back and and connect yes. with you after 30 days or whatever that time period was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah I, I learned afterwards that it disturbs the soul. They need to have peace in the other world. And I even saw it, I even saw it in people who commented to me that a relative had died and they were very distressed. So they were calling the relative and things happened to show them that that was not good. Like the soul came, but not in such a good way. So, no, so they don't want to be disturbed. And I didn't know it. That's why I asked him, but I never did it. Can you translate that prayer that 
um, the guy said in the airport to get out of the black void. Okay, so it's Baruch Shem, blessed be the name, meaning the name of God. Baruch Shem, blessed be the name, Kevod Malchuto, the glory of his kingdom, Leolam Ba'ed, is forever. So blessed be the name, the glory of his kingdom of God is forever. Yes, very simple prayer. I've had quite a few people who have had negative experiences in the afterlife, maybe you would consider like hellish experiences. And I think every one of them were able, obviously, to get out of it. Most of the time, I can't remember all of them, but most of the time they would just call out to Jesus to get out. It was either Jesus only or Jesus and or God. And once they did that, Usually that would get them out of the bad situation. So again, that's to me kind of a confirmation that it was kind of a prayer to God to get the person out of a unpleasant situation. I had one man tell me, so in general, I talk only about the positive and happy in these, mm-hmm. just because I like to say on the positive side, but I did speak with people who had negative ones. They are a minority, thank God. This man told me, um, he was electrocuted. I think he was an electrician. He was electrocuted. He said he died and went to hell, which in Hebrew is called Gehinom. He said he he did not describe to me what it looked like because we have a very short time um, to talk. But he said he died and he went to hell. And he says he was sitting in hell. And the Rebbe that we spoke about before, he said the Rebbe came and grabbed me and took me out. And the Rebbe took told me and uh, took me and told those who are taking care of that place. He said, I take responsibility for him. And he took me out and took me back and put me back in my, sent me back to my body. And he said, I did not know the Rebbe before this experience. And um, when I recovered a few days later, I was in a place where I saw a picture of that man who had come and taken me out of hell, and I knew that, and I recognized him, and that was the Rebbe, so I came in touch with Chabad, because this is the Rebbe of Chabad. So um, I, I, I have also read or heard people who called out to God and, and came out of hell. I've heard enough negative NDEs where I feel like I'm coming to the conclusion that usually the reason a person has one is either they're on a recreational drug or on some some type of medication that may lower their frequency or vibration and that's why they end up in this other reality okay so my experience with negative NDEs has been mostly um, people who have a lot of anger Hmm. and people who have very much hurt others, whose people basically are not nice people to others. So people who have have done a lot of that to others, hurt others a lot, and cause a lot of damage to other people, and people who have a lot of anger. That's why it is very important to work and releasing all the anger and just being in a a higher frequency of, of love and joy as much as we can. And that's why forgiveness is so important. Um, there have been experiences of that I that I'm aware of where people were under the influence of drugs that they went to a bad place, and 
I would interpret it possibly because God gives us a body to take care of. And if we are not taking good care of the body, we are not doing what we're supposed to do with it. So um, I guess I guess that's how I would interpret it. But I see that anger and, and hurting others are the main causes that I have found in the negative energies. All right, Nomi, I need to switch gears with you. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions, share their NDE or chit chat with you. Are you open to that? And if so, how can they reach you? Okay, so I have classes at Chabad.org. That is C-H-A-B-A-D.org, Chabad.org. I have videos and classes on spiritual development on near-death experiences at Chabad.org. And they're underneath the videos or the articles. Yeah, you can listen space there to send me a message. Before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? There are quite a few people who, in their in their experience, when they were in front of the light, they were asked a question that really shakes me to the core. The question that the light asked them was, what did you do with the life I gave you? And I think that it is a beautiful, somewhat intimidating question that we need to ask ourselves every day. What am I doing with my life? I was given this gift of life in order to accomplish, to bring more love and light into the world, to do more goodness and kindness. So what am I taking with me that when I am in front of the light, I could say, this is what I've done. So that sentence, what did you do with the life I gave you? And to finish off with my father's words, do as many good deeds as you can. Those are great messages. Nomi, thank you for coming and sharing with us today. Thank you. I appreciate you, and I wish you the best. Same for you. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara Podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the Join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.